Is he worthy? He is. is. Convenient enough is also the title of (laughs) this series that we're doing. Um, Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, which is such a great letter written by Paul. Anyone get the chance to read Colossians this week? Yeah. Can I encourage you? Do it again every week when we're doing this series. I, I tell you, it'll bless you every time you read it. My topic for today is called Walking Worthy. Before we get into this week's passage, though, I thought it'd be good to give a little bit of background on the letter itself as we're starting the series off, starting the letter off. Let's just do a little bit of backstory. Because interestingly, this is not a church that Paul had had any previous contact with. He didn't plant it. He never visited it. So why does he write to them? I'm going to go forward a little bit. Now I can see you, Bridget. (laughs) So why does he write to them? Well, this letter is written to the church in a place called Colossae which is now in what you would call the western part of Turkey, uh, situated in a valley close to towns of, the towns of Herapolis and Laodicea, which, of course, Laodicea is one of the seven churches in Revelation. It was in Colossae that there was cold water springs with good drinking water. In fact, if you remember from the seven churches of Revelation, it's from Colossae, that Laodicea gets its cold water piped in from. It was part of a major trade route and had a very mixed population as a result of this. There were people in Colossae from all over the empire. And when Paul was under house arrest in Rome, he was able to have visitors. And one of those visitors was a guy called Epaphras. And in chapter 1, verse 7, Paul tells the church, he's heard how well this church is doing through Epaphras, who he describes as a faithful minister on their behalf. So Paul hears about this church in Colossae through this guy. Now Epaphras may well have planted this church. If not, he was certainly a leader in it. And he visits Paul, first of all, telling him of all the good things that are happening but also of the challenges that they're facing with false teaching. By the way, if anyone ever asks you about your church, do what Epaphras did. Do the good stuff first. (laughs) If there's stuff that you need to go into, leave them till second. (laughs) It's a good way of doing it, because first of all, Paul's encouraged, and then he wants to help. I don't know if Epaphras had started with the bad stuff, whether Paul would have been (laughs) quite so keen to compliment them. This letter is addressing some of the issues that this church was facing. And in this city, there was a huge mix of cultures. And this mix of cultures meant there was a huge mix of religions. Today we were called Colossi, multi-ethnic or multi-faith, it's probably a better term, a multi-faith culture. So in this city, In many ways, it's quite similar to where we find ourselves today. We certainly, I would say, live in a multi-faith culture. There was so much mixed religion 
that actually none of them dominated. And as a result, there was this tendency to blur the lines between one and the other. When Paul is talking about the false teaching that was in the city, he calls them enticing words. And the main purpose of this letter is to warn this church against the enticing words. Here's the problem with false teaching. It's always a little bit enticing. False teachers will often tell you what you like to hear, not what you need to hear. And what happened is things were getting added to the faith. And Paul is saying, guys, you need to be careful of this stuff. (coughs) So he's warning against them. But also, he is elevating Jesus. And that's why this letter is so amazing. This letter elevates the name of Jesus. So things were getting added to the faith. Not just from Jewish rules, as in a lot of cities it was happening. But also there was things from other faiths getting added. Remember, if you were in Colossae and you were saved and you got saved while living in the city, then chances are you were part of one of these other religions before you got saved. And so what happened is, in a lot of cases, people were just adding Jesus to the stuff they already believed. He was an addition instead of a replacement. That's why Paul is so specific in elevating Jesus as the only true God. That Jesus is the one who is above all creation. The message of Colossians is Christ is supreme. That's why this is such a good letter. As a result of what Paul is wanting to communicate to this church, it is a gold mine of things about Jesus. No other letter that Paul wrote has such a high view of Jesus or such an insistence on his completeness and his finality. Written to a church in a society full of different religions and beliefs, this letter says Jesus. Jesus is above everything. Let me tell you, that's a message we need to hear today, isn't it? Jesus is above it all. He is described in this letter as the image of the invisible God. And that in him, all the fullness of God dwells. But, that's next week's message. (laughs) So let's dig into today's section. Today I'm going to read from Colossians 1, verses 3 to 14. I'm going to have a little drink of water first. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the world of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it always does among you 
since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Ephrathah. Ephrathah. I could say it earlier. Thank you, Epras. <laughs> no, somebody shout out to me because I had it and I've lost it. Epaphras, thank you. Our beloved fellow servant. <sighs> he is a faithful minister with a confusing name. Uh, sorry, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, what a way to open a letter. My focus this morning is going to be on the second paragraph, but let me just do a little bit of the first. He starts by saying that he's praying for them. And he's heard some great things, great things about their faith in Jesus, how they're loving other Christians. He then talks about how this gospel is spreading across the world. This same gospel that they've heard is going everywhere. It's amazing. What he's doing, he's connecting them to the wider movement of the gospel. And it's a good reminder, you know. There's good stuff happening there, but he's saying, guys, you're not on your own. There's great stuff happening with you, but guess what? It's happening everywhere everywhere you are part of something bigger than just what you've got going on what a lesson listen we are part of something bigger than what's just happening in this room and on this feed today it's encouraging to see what God is doing here and I pray that every person who came forward this morning that God will do something mighty it's amazing to see the things that happen in this place but it's not just happening here we may not number in the thousands here, but God's plan is bigger than us. That's good. Because I tell you, if we had to reach the world by ourselves, we'd have a job on. <laughs> Having said that, with Billingham, we've got a job on. <laughs> with Hartlepool, with Stockton, with everywhere around us. I tell you what, it's a big job. I'm glad we're not the only church in the area doing it. Because, whew, it's big. We are part of something bigger. He then says how pleased he is to have met Epaphras. <laughs> it doesn't help that I spelt his name wrong here, and that completely threw me. 
He then moves into the part I really want to talk about. Paul is telling these people that since he's heard of them, he has never stopped praying for them. But he says, I'm praying something specific for you guys. And what he's praying for is important for their church and their context. But I tell you, I believe it's something that's important for all of us. He is praying they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's praying they'll understand what God wants for their lives. You know what's interesting? This tells us a lot, I think, about how prayer works. When we pray, we're asking to know God more. To know his will more. The great objective of prayer is to know God more. To know the will of God more. Prayer is not you trying to persuade God, but you pursuing God. I tell you, a lot of prayers are just us trying to persuade God. We would have a much better prayer life if our prayer lives were in pursuit of God. Prayer is not us trying to make God listen to us, but to get us to listen to him. Far too often in prayer we're asking, may your will be changed. Instead of, may your will be done. Paul is praying that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. What a place that is to start. He's praying not only will they have knowledge of the will of God, but he also prays for spiritual wisdom and understanding to go with it. It's taking the knowledge of the will of God and having the wisdom and the understanding of how to apply them to life. How to walk them out. How the, the will of God can work in your everyday situations. See, knowledge of the will of God without wisdom and understanding of living the word of God won't do you much good. You know, you could become a master in theology and a failure in life. If it's here and not here and here and here, it's not doing anybody any good. And it's certainly not doing you any good. You could have huge amounts of knowledge with no application in life. And let me tell you, there's some people who know the Bible back to front, but have no wisdom of how to live it out in life. Yeah. The wisdom and the understanding is taking the knowledge and applying the knowledge. The words used for understanding here is what the Greeks would actually call critical knowledge, which means the ability to apply what you know into situations in your life. Critical knowledge. Let me tell you, our Christianity is not just a knowledge of the will of God, but walking in the will of God. Listen, if all you do is know it, so what? Critical knowledge is knowing it and living it. 
And that takes us on to the big question here. Oops. Paul is praying that this church has knowledge of the will of God, understanding on how to live it. Why is Paul praying this for them? What's the outcome he's hoping for? Well, he tells us. Colossians 1, verses 10 to 12. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He's praying that they'll have this so that they can walk in a worthy manner. His prayer is that it will result in them living right. Living every day in a way that is pleasing to God. That's a good question, isn't it? Are we walking in a worthy manner? Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, we're saved. I'm not asked, no, don't question that. Yes, we are redeemed and imperfect. But I wonder, are we walking in a manner worthy of what we've received? One way of putting this is asking yourself this question. And asking yourself this question today. Is this what Jesus would have me do today? That church, there's a question that we should wrestle with. Every day. Let me tell you, ever since I wrote this down, I've been asking myself this question every day, and it's, oh, it's a tough one. Is this what Jesus would have me do today? Not, what would Jesus do? <laughs> Because that always seemed a little abstract to me. I'm not Jesus. Um, what would Jesus do? Die for our sins. Um, but what would Jesus have me do? And if we were to stop in moments in life every day, as we're going about our business, as we're going about our work, as we're going about our relationships with people, if we were to stop and ask that question, is this what Jesus would have me do today? Listen, if we kept asking that question, I think we'd have some different direction in life. If that became a regular question in your prayer life, what would God have me do today? You know, I believe if we ask God that question, God will answer that question. Now, at the same time, I have the word of God give me a pretty good guide of what God would have me do today. And as we ask these questions of ourselves, 
We've got to be genuinely looking for the answer. Listen, there's no sense in asking the question if you don't want to listen to the answer. How often do we do that, eh? We ask a question, but we're not really listening for the answer. You know the most common question we're not really listening to the answer for? How are you doing? <laughs> if the answer is anything other than I'm doing fine, okay, sometimes tune for, I'm tuning out. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting. I was expecting a fine, thank you. <laughs> but if we were to genuinely ask God that question, God, what would you have me do today? I don't believe there's any sense in asking the question if you're not going to listen to the answer. Today, am I living right? Am I walking in a way that is, and I'm going to quote Paul here, fully pleasing to him? Oof. Am I? There's a bar to set. Am I walking in a way today that is fully pleasing to him? Not just am I keeping God satisfied, but am I fully pleasing him? There's a question to ask yourself. Not, not am I doing better? Oh, who should I pick on? Okay, Brian. Not am I doing better than Brian? Because you've got to be careful of that question. That's what the Pharisee did. The Pharisee compared himself to other people and he went home not justified. Not, am I doing better than I was? But am I walking in a way that is fully pleasing to God? I tell you what, you don't look as concerned as I am about that question. Am I fully pleasing in the way I treat my wife? Or your husband? Am I fully pleasing to God in the way I treat my parents or my kids? Am I fully pleasing to God in the way I treat strangers or friends? Am I fully pleasing in the way I treat God? I could go on with a long list of things. But actually Paul has a list here. And he follows up this phrase with a list of what that should look like. He starts by saying, bearing fruit in every Good work. And there's a one to start with. Look, we know we're not saved by works, but that doesn't mean works don't matter. God is wanting us to do good in the world. He is wanting us to be a force and a people who do good things. We are part of his new creation, his people, people who live by following the example of Jesus. We should be in this world a force for good. Jesus said, our good works help people see our Father in heaven. Then he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, in some respect, that speaks for itself. The more we know God, the more we'll know his will. The more knowledge, our knowledge of God increases, the more our adoration of God increases. But an increasing knowledge of God does not happen by osmosis. 
Yeah? It takes something from us. And it takes more than just coming to church and listening. Listen, I had plenty of French classes in school. I did French twice a week for three years because I dropped oh, We were the last year allowed to drop it. <laughs> yeah, I don't speak any French except bonjour. <laughs> French does not simply work its way into my head by me sitting in a French class. I had to do some work. Attending church in itself does not help you grow in the knowledge of God. But coming with an open heart, open ears, need to, keen to know more, that makes the difference. Reading the Bible alone does not increase your knowledge of God, but reading your Bible and saying, God speak to me, and listening when he does, will. Prayer by itself does not increase a growing knowledge of God's will, but prayer where we actually take the time sometimes to stop talking and listen, does. Sometimes we can get it in our heads. If we're not talking, we're not praying. That's like saying I'm not having a conversation unless I'm doing all the talking. I mean, I'm sure we all know some people like that, but that's... Uh... <laughs> There has to be this desire to learn more about God, to know more about God, and to hear what God is saying. And that desire comes from an acceptance that no matter how much today you think you know, you don't know enough. And I hope you realize that no matter how well you think you're doing, you don't know enough about God. There's more. Don't ever rest on your intellectual pride, but understand there is always, always more to learn about God. Paul then says, being strengthened with all power. Oh, we can't walk this worthy walk alone. We need to be strengthened to do it with power. Where's that power come from? From the Spirit of God. Spirit. One of our words for the year. I'm thinking of trying to put those up behind us somewhere so we remember them. But I want them to look nice. So it may take a while. If we try to live the worthy walk alone and in our own strength, let me tell you right now, you will fail. You'll fail. We can only walk the worthy walk when we are strengthened by the Spirit of God. Someone who is walking worthy is someone who is walking not in their own strength, but are strengthened by the power of God, strengthened by the Spirit of God. That's another reason we need to continually be filling up, refreshing the indwelling Spirit that is in us. We must rely on Him or you will fail. I can guarantee you every time you failed God, it's because you did it in your own strength. It's all those times where we say, God, I can do this. No, we can't. God, you see, doesn't just show us how to live. 
or tell us how to live, but by his spirit, he enables us to have the power to live the way he wants us to live. It would be unfair. It would be frustrating if God had made his will known and not given us a way to achieve it. But he does. He enables us to do everything he's asked of us. Because anything less would be unfair. Let me tell you, when we walk in the spirit of God, we can do everything God has asked us to do. He's given us the helper. The power of the spirit. See, it's not a question this morning of do you have help? Because you do. But are you resting and relying on the help God has made available to you? Paul then says, showing endurance and patience. This helps us when we're powered by the Spirit to endure and to show patience. You know, when we're easily swayed by circumstance, when we're impatient with people in situations, we are walking contrary to the call we've been given by God. Now this tells me something. Someone who is walking worthy is not someone who has it easy. Sometimes you can be of the opinion if someone's facing problems or opposition, it must be because there's something wrong with their walk. No, no, no. If you are walking worthy, you will need to show endurance. You will need to show patience. When we're not walking with the increasing knowledge of God, when we're walking without the power, that's when we give in to opposition. Opposition comes regardless. It's whether we stand in the face of it or not. And it says, interestingly, not just have endurance and patience. It says, patience with joy. With joy. It's not a term you'd often associate with patience. Not a suffering patience, but a patience that is glad that no matter what happens, God has it in hand. I don't know about you, when I think of patience, I don't often think of joy. But oh, what it is to be joyful while you wait. I say this a lot, but it bears repeating. You can't practice patience in isolation. Patience can't come as a download of something that you can read about and then suddenly, oh yeah, I get it now, I understand it. There's only one way you can grow in patience. And that is by having to wait for something that matters to you. Only way. There is literally there's no other way to grow in patience other than have to wait. Well, you know the same thing is true of endurance. How can you get better at enduring without having something that you must endure? And I don't just mean this message. A worthy walk isn't about avoiding frustration or difficult times. It's about pushing through them and growing in them. It's about being faithful to God as you go through them. Let me tell you, is anyone in here who is not going through hard times in some form or another? Yeah? See, that's not in question. 
The question is, is how we face them. How we grow in them. How we learn patience in them. How we learn endurance. How we get a steal from them. Giving thanks to the Father, he then says. This tells me two things. First of all, those who are giving thanks are walking right. But also those who are walking right see plenty to give thanks for. It's not a question uh, if some people have things to thank God for and some people don't. It's that some people see the goodness of God moving and recognize it. Some aren't seeing it because they're looking in the wrong place or for the wrong thing. The goodness of God is there, I tell you. But those who are walking worthy see it. I think someone who can see the goodness of God is a positive person. Something about a negative Christian that makes you go, hmm, not seeing what I'm seeing. Because God is on the throne. God is on the throne. And I don't care what you're facing, God is still on the throne. And I have got plenty to be thankful to God for. Walking worthy has been thankful in times of waiting. Thankful in times of enduring. Because they look at what God is doing or God is preparing and go, you know what, it might not be here now, but I can see it. I can see it. There's people in this room I know who have had to endure some hard stuff. But I tell you, when you're walking with God, those hard things should make you stronger. And he is another huge reason to give him thanks. And Paul says this in the next line. Colossians 1, 12. For he is the one who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He is the one who qualified us. That's right. We don't seek to gain an inheritance because God has already qualified us for the inheritance. That's not the issue. You know, we are redeemed by grace, not by our works. We don't work hard on being saved. We work hard because we're saved. We don't qualify ourselves. But it's for us, once we are qualified, to walk in a manner worthy of that qualification. You know, there's a principle in business, and I've completely forgotten the name of it. Is it the Peter principle? That somebody will get promoted within an environment to the point of incompetence. Yeah? And you see it happen all over the place. Someone who's good at this job gets promoted. Good at this job gets promoted. Isn't good at this job because they were actually best fitted for that one, but got promoted because they were doing well. And suddenly find themselves a manager who's incompetent, who can't be sacked. Not walking in the manner to which he's been qualified. Listen, we've been bumped up to here in God. We've been given the inheritance of the kingdom of God. It's up to us to walk it in that level. We've been given the job title, but I tell you, it's up to us to be worthy of it. Don't be a Peter Principle Christian. Walk worthy of the manner you have been called. Man, it is woman here. How do we do it? Or how has God done it? Colossians 1.13, next line, he says, He has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Because of Jesus, we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. Listen, we've been transferred. We're not on loan. We don't get sent back after a couple of years. We don't belong to the kingdom of darkness. We are fully signed up to the kingdom of light. That is bigger than going from a local, from going from Billingham town to, I don't know where to go with this bit. Bigger than that. <laughs> Who's currently at the top of the league? Thank you. This is like going from Billingham Town and get a player going from Billingham Town and getting signed by Liverpool. What we have in God is bigger a transfer than that. Okay, that's enough of my football because I don't really think I can go anywhere further than that. I think that works. Paul isn't saying walk in a worthy manner so you can become a child of God. He is saying you are a child of God. Walk in a worthy manner. You've been promoted. You've been transferred. But let's live like someone who's been promoted. Let's live like someone who's been transferred. Walk in a way that is befitting to a child of God. Walk in a way that's pleasing to your father. Actually, no. Fully pleasing to your father. Oh, I dare you to ask the question in your daily prayer. Is this what you'd have me do today, God? Is this what you'd have me do today? We are children of the inheritance. We are saints of light. We should be different. You know that term we talked about holiness yesterday? Holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set apart. Different. We should be as different from the world around us as someone who plays for Liverpool, as someone who plays from, I don't know, Billingham Town. Sorry, I'll stop having a go at Billingham. It's the only football club that's local that I know. We should be as different. We should have different goals in life. We should have different aspirations. We should have a different manner of speaking. People should know there's a difference in us because we've been set apart for God. But here's the thing. I say should. Paul isn't demanding this of them. At no point is Paul saying you must be. No, Paul is saying I'm praying you'll be able to. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that this is going to happen. He's praying for this to be the reality of their lives. It is not a demand, it's a target. And for us too, because we could go out of here feeling bad that we're not living up to it. Or we could go out here going, there's a target to shoot for. There's somewhere I want to reach. That's what I want to be like. I want to walk worthy. Because I can stand here this morning and say there's part of my life I am not walking worthy. Fully pleasing? No. But I tell you, I want to aim for that. Every day I want fully worthy to be my goal. 
What an aim that we may be filled with the knowledge of his will, to have spiritual wisdom and understanding, to work out the will of God in our lives so that we can walk in a manner fully pleasing to God. That's the desire for my life. That's what I want to be. Oh, I, I tell you, don't leave here feeling like you've missed the mark on that because we've all missed the mark on that. Leave here, not feeling bad about that, but leave here going, God, I pray I can be that. Yeah. You know, if you haven't been that recently, in fact, you've been doing worse than you normally would. Make it a goal. Still the start of the year, you can still make a goal for the year. Make it a goal that every day my target is going to be fully pleasing to God. To have fruitful good works. To increase in the knowledge of God. To have the strength of the Holy Spirit to achieve this. And we can't overstate how important that is. Without the strength of the Holy Spirit, you will fail. But thank God he's given us everything we need to be able to achieve it. Everything we need. To have endurance and patience and joy in the patience endurance. Giving God thanks and the glory he deserves. I tell you, there's a way to face this year. Trouble may come. In fact, mm-hmm. you know it. Trouble's going to come. But to be able to look back at that trouble and smile. And say, trouble, I trust God through you. To have endurance, sorry if my smile was creepy there. To have endurance and patience. It was Paul's prayer for the Colossians. It's my prayer for you. Actually, it's also my prayer for me. Church, may we walk worthy, fully pleasing to our Lord and our Savior. It's a funny one to do an appeal for this. But I think it would be a good declaration to make. That if this year, you always feel funny about an appeal where you'd feel awkward if somebody stayed sat down. (laughs) But I'm going to do it anyway. If this year you want your prayer to be, God, I want to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to you. (laughs) Let's stand together. Can the worship team make their way up as well? Lord, what we see when we see people standing here is we see intent, desire. Lord, I'm standing because I want to walk in a way that is fully pleasing to you. And Lord, I want that to be my prayer every day. Jesus, is this what you'd have me do today?
Lord, I pray, challenge me every day, not just to know your will, but to have the wisdom to live your will. And Lord, I pray for everyone else that, Lord, we won't just know your will, but you give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to live your will and to walk in a manner that is fully, fully, fully pleasing to you. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.